Simona Dinnerstein, it's such a pleasure to be able to speak with you again. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How about you? Doing well also. This feels a little bit like a follow-up call in a way, Simona, because it doesn't feel like it was that many months ago that we were talking over the phone, over the radio, about um, another recording that you had made, the Philip Glass and Franz Schubert disc. And this one, to me, feels like a follow-up because it's another one where you have recorded in your own home in New York City. Yes. Yeah, it is, a, it is very much a follow-up. Uh, this project that led to the recording started almost immediately after I had recorded A Character of Quiet, so it was, it was definitely a continuation. And you were reached by a composer about your music. We're talking about uh, Richard Danielpour, who told you that he had been listening to some of your Bach recordings. And I'm hoping that you can let our listeners know a little bit of uh, what's behind that, that story of Daniel Poor listening to your Bach recordings. Yes, I um, I received a wonderful phone call from Richard Daniel Poor last spring. Um, though I have I had been familiar with his writing and had of course heard of him, I had never actually spoken with him or met him, and so it was definitely a surprise to receive this call from him. And he was just incredibly sweet, and he said that he had been really suffering uh, through the spring because he had to be very careful with with staying inside. He lives in L.A., and that he has asthma, and as a result, um, it was really quite dangerous for him to go out, and he was feeling very stressed and anxious, and um, nothing was able to calm him down, and he was taking various medications and whatever, and, and, and nothing was helping, and then he somehow stumbled across my Bach recordings, and apparently they did the trick, and they <laughs> and they really helped him, and he he felt very grateful um, for how they had made him feel, and he reached out to me to tell me that, which was just, um, you know, it's so nice uh, to hear that from someone, and um, especially at that at that moment in time in the spring when I myself was feeling very isolated and um, kind of questioning the importance of making any kind of music during that time. Uh, so that was, that was very encouraging to get that call. And then he told me that he had been thinking about composing a very uh, major piano work that would be um, a sort of portrait, the different segments of American society that were affected by the pandemic and the, and the events of last summer. And he wanted to know whether he could write that piece for me. And of course, I was very honored and said, yes, that would be great. And, um, and so that's how the whole thing started. Simona, he asked you, but do you think maybe on some level he had you in mind the whole time? Well, that's hard to know, but um, I mean, <laughs> he asked me, so this was in the spring that he asked me that, and then he started composing in June, and I would say that the music that he wrote 
is music that suits me completely. So whether that means that he was really writing it for me or that he responded to my playing because I sound like what he what he likes. Um, it's a bit of a chicken and egg question, I suppose. I suppose so. This piece is called An American Mosaic. And as you said, it's Daniel Poor's response to different sectors of society, different people, how they were affected by by the pandemic, by COVID-19. And would I be correct also in saying, unless I have the timing wrong, by uh, the George Floyd killing and the what we call the racial reckoning um, here in this country over the summer? Oh, yes, for sure. That is part of it. And um, there's a movement that is called Prophets and Martyrs, which is dedicated to black lives lost. And uh, he dedicated movements. Each movement is dedicated to a different person. And I think that, you know, social justice is something that is very, very close to his heart. And, you know, he's collaborated with both Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou on various, like, operas and, and song cycles. And uh, he has another song cycle he's doing now with the uh, poetry of Rita Dove. So I think that <clears throat> he was tremendously stirred by the events of the summer and also just by the whole political strife that was taking place for the past four years. Simona, let's let's give our listeners an idea of the structure of the piece. It suddenly has me thinking about pictures at an exhibition for some reason, except, you know, that piece has a promenade that opens it, and then it takes us through different, different pictures, but this one takes us through different aspects of society. It does begin with a prologue, and then there's an epilogue, so it has a real feeling of, of completion to it, or at least of coming around full circle. But... Within that, and going from Richard's description, there are some words that jump out off the page for me that remind me of Bach and make me wonder if, if on some level for Mr. Daniel Poor, if Bach might have been on his mind, d- describing pieces as a four-part chorale, for example. That one is a, f- a fugue, I believe, a three-voice fugue. Uh, it's interesting that... Uh, there's a, at least a, a reference in his description of Bach's structures. Does that seem right? Yes, yeah. I think that um, Bach was definitely a theme for him, uh, you know, of course, to begin with, that he was listening to Bach as a means of consoling himself during the summer, and that um, in particular my Bach recordings had had led us to meeting each other virtually. And also, um, the commissioning body for this piece uh, was the Oregon Bach Festival. 
And so they were they were the people that really enabled all of this to take place. And so Bach played an important role in in the creation of this piece. And Richard had a very clear picture in his mind before he set pen to paper of how he wanted the piece to be structured. Um, he knew he wanted 15 movements, and um, he knew that he wanted there to be uh, every few movements for there to be what he called a consolation. And the consolations are the first, fifth, tenth, and fifteenth movements of the piece, and each one of those is um, in a Bachian way, um, adding a voice. So the first one, which is the prologue, is a single, a single voice, a, m- a monodic theme. And then the, the second consolation, which is the, th- the fifth movement, is a two-part invention. And then the third consolation, which is movement 10, is a three-voice fugue. And then finally, the fourth consolation, which is the, the last movement, the 15th movement, is a four-part chorale. And um, so definitely that, that tribute to Bach is taking place throughout. And then in between, there are movements that are paying tribute uh, or commemorating um, different parts of society. So we have um, uh, parents and children, teachers and students, doctors and interns, uh, rabbis and ministers, uh, prophets and martyrs, you know, all these different things. And then there's also two movements, uh, one of which is called the visible enemy, which is a very political movement. And then there's one which is the invisible enemy, which is COVID-19. And then smack in the middle, um, the, the eighth movement is called an elegy for our time, which is just a, a really beautiful, um, very, very uh, spiritual movement. Is there a structure? I'm sure that as a musician, you, you can sense a musical relationship or progression between movements, if, if he did intend that. And I wondered if there was um, an intention of, by title, how he paired up uh, the pieces next to one another. Yes, I think that he, um, he definitely was thinking about the flow of the piece, um, certainly having the, you know, that that general the skeletal structure with the with the constellations is one aspect. You know, every few movements there's a very lively movement. Um, but I would say that on the whole, the piece is very reflective and quite internal and introspective. Um, and then there are these outbursts. You know, like. Uh, definitely parents and children where it sounds like the children are kind of jumping off the wall and and the movement uh, journalists uh, poets and writers is a very um, very visceral uh, movement 
So he was thinking about the pacing of the piece um, with these like faster movements um, interspersed amongst all of the meditative movements. say that what Richard Danupour is doing is, is well, let's say apart from the two enemy <laughs> movements, yeah. um, creating musical portraits or dedications to these people who are working hard through this pandemic. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think that there's, um, I think there's a great deal of compassion in the music, which is palpable. And <clears throat> There's a feeling, a, a real feeling of narrative. Uh, I think that's true of all of the music of his that I've heard, that there's a real feeling of narrative. Um, and I think he likes to tell a story. And um, I mean, what a story this was. Uh, and, and it's still also, going on. <laughs> I, and it's still going on, yes. Um, and I think that he... I was very struck by the fact that he had so much, it, it, it was almost like he knew the piece, he knew it in his mind, and then once we got the go-ahead that the commission was happening, he just simply wrote it down. Like it was, um, it was all in his head and he kind of took dictation from some spot in his head <laughs> that knew what the music was. Um, I, I found it kind of striking. I don't think I've really had experience with composers who wrote like that. Um, and I imagine that he was just so um, inspired to write it, like that he had to get it out, basically. And it just came pouring out of the page. Uh, it came pouring onto the page for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm really struck by the piece myself. And I'm sure that if I, if I did a little bit of looking, I would find other composers who have written works in response to COVID-19, to the pandemic. This one is just, uh, it, he takes it on, on such a, a human level. It's not so much that it's uh, a giant catastrophe and focusing on that, but rather focusing on how, how these different people are responding to it. That's how it seems to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, while it's a really big piece of music and it's 50 minutes long and I think that he you know it's a major piece it has the feeling of character pieces right so it's 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 really portraits it's a series of portraits and I think you're right that it's very it's 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 deeply human it's not a grand gesture it's not like um 
he's making a philosophical statement. Uh, you know, it, it has philosophical elements to it, and I think it's a very um, spiritual piece of music. But, um, you know, he could have written um, a symphony or, a, you know, I mean, like the piece that he's really known for recently is his, his huge Passion of Yeshua, which is, you know, a really large-scale work. This is a, a, a big piece of music, but it's for one pianist. And so it has an intimacy to it, which I think relates to the way he's, he's dealing with the subject matter. Well, Simona, it's great to hear how you are, are uh, you know, keeping deep into creativity and performance and, and you know, where possible, interactions with, with, with these great composers and, and musicians and um, have found a way to be able to share that um, with your audiences. Thank you. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. And it was so nice to speak with you about it. Well, Simona Dinnerstein, again, thank you very much um, for spending some time talking about your new recording, An American Mosaic. We're looking forward to sharing it with our audiences here at All Classical Portland. <laughs> 